and turn with me to the New Testament passage of Acts. The New Testament passage of Acts and Acts in chapter number 6. Acts in chapter number 6. The Bible talks about very clearly that there are three persons that make up the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We know God is the Creator, God the power and the force of the universe. We know that Jesus Christ is God robed in flesh, but He is just co-equal and co-heir and co-eternal and co-powerful as God is. Then Jesus, as he ascended up to heaven, he promised his disciples another comforter. And the word another carries the same idea that this is going to be just as good as. The Holy Spirit's not a cheap substitute. It's just as good as if you had Jesus bodily in front of you. And God has left the Holy Spirit for one purpose, to point up to the Lord Jesus Christ, empowering and using God's people here as human instruments. And the idea of feeling with the Holy Spirit and being controlled with the Holy Spirit, it is so important. And sometimes we talk about it and we refer to the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we don't give the example, what does a Holy Spirit person look like? What does he act like? What does he sound like? Well, this being in mind, we're going to do a character study on a man by the name of Stephen. And we see his life mentioned in Acts chapter number 6. Acts chapter number 6. And notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, starting in verse number 1. Acts 6, and starting in verse number 1, the Word of God says this. Acts 6 and 1, it says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procreus, and uh, Nicanor, and Timonen, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Acts in chapter number 6? Acts 6 and verse number 3, and we see the phrase, full of the Holy Ghost. Full of the Holy Ghost. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to preach a message about the characteristics of a Holy Spirit-filled man. Characteristics of a Spirit-filled man. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for you being a wonderful God. And as I approach this such important message here, 
Lord, I'm asking that our hearts and minds would be attentive unto you, that we would give you full reign, that, Lord, you would use this as a teaching tool, as a reminding tool, as a convicting tool, that we can all be filled with your spirit. We can all have your power on our lives. We can have you in charge. And you could do so much more than what we could dream or think or hope. Lord, even me, I understand my own mental frailties, my physical infirmities. I know all of these, and I know that I am not able. So the best I know how, I surrender myself to you and beg that you fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose of getting your own work accomplished tonight. You do what I cannot do. You be God. And that's all we're asking, that you would be nothing less than God tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. When we talk about this important doctrine of filling with the Holy Spirit, it is such an important doctrine, but sometimes there's a great misunderstanding and a disconnect between people and this idea. Now, the Bible gives five specific commands dealing with the Holy Spirit. We're not going to take time to look at these passages, but I'm going to reference these passages uh, just really quick. There are five promises or five commands about the Holy Spirit. The first command is that we're supposed to quench not the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. It says specifically a command, quench not the Spirit. Do you know that we could quench God's Spirit? That there are people who could come to a church service and because of an attitude, they can actually quench what God is trying to get accomplished because of their own attitude. We could quench God's Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, the Bible gives a commandment not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. To grieve not the Holy Spirit. In the context, you want to know how we could grieve the Spirit? By bitterness and unforgiveness. When we hold unforgiveness, when we have bitterness, we grieve, we break God's heart. Because God doesn't want us to live under the dominion of our circumstances or anything else. He wants us to have freedom from those bondages. And so the Bible commands us, that's a commandment, to grieve not the Spirit. The Bible gives another commandment about the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. Galatians 5 and verse 16 where it commands us to walk in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit, that's a commandment. To walk in the Spirit. To be so dependent upon God that He's the one who's giving you every step. He's giving you the direction. He's pointing you where you need to go. To walk in the Spirit. Another commandment we see about the Holy Spirit is found in the book of Jude in verse 20. Jude in verse 20, it commands us to pray in the Spirit. To pray in the Spirit. Do you know that we don't know how to pray as we ought? (laughs) You may think you do, but we don't know how to pray as we ought. But if we let God pray through us, He can show us what to pray for. He can show us how to pray and how to pray for a specific thing. We are to pray in the Spirit. Then the Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse 18. This is a commandment, not a choice, not a suggestion. It says it commands us to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. So if this is a commandment to be filled with the Spirit, and by the way, God expects every Christian to be filled with the Spirit, 
then a very practical thing is how? How? How do we be filled with the Spirit? Well, part of it is that we, it needs to be taught how to be filled with the Spirit. Let's say that I have a cup, and in this cup is half full of Mountain Dew, just to put something out. All right, so it's half full with Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew, and I want to fill it full of milk. All right, so I just don't put the milk inside of the Mountain Dew because then I would get milk dew. It would not be milk; it would be it would be polluted. In order for me to fill this cup full of milk, I first have to empty the cup out. Does that make sense? This is our part. God's part is the filling. Our part is the emptying out. What does that mean? Empty it out ourselves. That we die to self. We die to our ambitions, our desires, our goals, our pride, our things. You know, if you have pride, you cannot be full of the Holy Spirit. As long as you have something you're holding on to. As long as there's something that you say, I'll do everything God wants me to up to this point and I'll never do this. As long as we have lines, as long as we have things we hold on to, we cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to let those things go. Let go those pet things that we have. This is the part that we have to work on. We have to empty ourselves out. Or as the Bible says in a different way, we die to self. We cannot be filled with the Spirit until we are dead. We cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit until we're emptied. Like I said, it's much easier said than done. But at the same time, it's very easy if we're just willing. But we have to let it go. You know, this includes pride. Do you know that we could be prideful over good things? We can be prideful over us being right. I'm right and you're wrong. We can be proud about our stance. You know what's the worst type of pride to get rid of? Is when we are right. I'll show them. I know what I'm talking about. And because it's us that's in control, God is not. And we have to be careful with this. And people will confuse having the right stand with being filled with God. As long as we have an element of pride, we cannot be filled with the Spirit. We must be dead. And this is a commandment for Christians. And so someone can say, well, is there an example? Is there something we can see? Well, we have the biblical example of Stephen. And we're going to look at Stephen's life. And so I just don't want to give you the theology about being filled with the Spirit. I want to look at a man's life. And I want you to see from the Bible, what does a Spirit-filled person look like? What does he sound like? What does he act like? What does he talk like? And unfortunately, we're going to compare ourselves to this man. And we're going to see when we're filled with the Spirit and when we're not. And so if you wouldn't mind, let's take the book of Acts. And I'd like to show you some characteristics of a spirit-filled man. First of all, I want to show you the ministry of a spirit-filled man. The ministry of a spirit-filled man. What is the ministry? What does he have? Now, of course, in the context we have here, the uh, church of Jerusalem is starting to grow. 
And what has happened is that some of the widows are not being taken care of and there's a schism between some of the Hebrew people and the Gentile Christians and they're saying, look, we're taking care of our widows, but look at these widows over here, they're being neglected. And the preachers say, hey, there's so much to do that we're cutting in into our Bible time and our prayer time. And as the pastors and as the preachers, we need to be in our Bible. So you go out and you find seven men of good report and you pull them up so they can help us with this job. We have here the calling of the first deacons. By the way, if you're keeping note of something, the first qualification of any deacon is to be spirit-filled. According to this passage here, the, the first qualification of a deacon is to be spirit-filled. So what is the ministry of a spirit-filled man? What, is, what was here about Stephen? The first thing I'd like to show you, what is the ministry of a spirit-filled man? It's a man full of faith. It's a man full of faith. Notice what the Bible says. Notice in verse number 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. Notice verse, 18, or verse 8. And Stephen... Full of faith. What is a characteristic of a spirit-filled man? What is his ministry? He's a man that is full of faith. You know what he believes? He believes that God could do anything but fail. When you are filled with the Spirit, you recognize that God can do anything. That God can do it. God can give you the strength. God can give you the wisdom. God could do something amazing here. God could do something that other people think is not possible. That you could believe and trust God because He's such a real God. He's such a big God. And when you're full of the Spirit, you recognize how great God is and that He can do it all. No one went up to Stephen and said, you know... It can't be done. He says, oh, yes, it can. I've heard some preachers, welcome to Wisconsin. They said, Wisconsin is the graveyard for Baptist preachers. You know what? God is bigger than that. God is amazing. He can do something that everybody else says cannot be done. A man full of the Holy Spirit looks at God and says he can. He is full of faith. The ministry of a spirit-filled man. Not only is he a man full of faith, but notice this, he's a man full of the Holy Ghost. He's a man full of the Holy Ghost. Notice verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, in verse number 5. And the the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Now, I want you to remember the context. The disciples said, you go out and find among yourselves seven men of good report. What's the qualification? Full of the Holy Ghost. So he's telling this crowd, you find seven men among yourselves that are full of the Holy Ghost. You know what that means? That being filled with the Holy Spirit is a definite experience. You know, we talk about salvation. Are you 100% sure if you die today, you go to heaven? And what do we expect when we ask that question? Yes or no. Do you know the same thing's true about being filled with the Spirit? Are you 100% sure you are filled with the Spirit right now? We should expect a yes or no question. You know why? Being filled with a different Spirit is a definite experience, and it's always done on purpose. You don't roll out of the bed one morning and say, Woohoo! I got the Spirit, baby! 
That's not what it is. To be filled with the Spirit, remember what I said before, you have to empty yourself out. Until you've emptied yourself out, you cannot be filled with the Spirit. You could be a good person, you could be a moral person, you could be a Christian, but you cannot be filled with the Spirit until you're emptied of yourself. And that is always done purposefully and intentionally. You know, the Bible, spirit, uh, Bible talks about how much more should the Holy Spirit or God give the Holy Spirit to them that ask. Do you know you have to ask for the Spirit? God, fill me with your Spirit. You know, you may not be so technical. You could say something simple as, God, help! <laughs> God, I can't do it. I, you have to do it. But you have to recognize you're empty. And God has to do it. But being filled with the Spirit is a definite experience. Now that doesn't mean that you get the heebie-jeebies or you get the special light with the angels and go, ah. But it is a definite experience. You can know for sure that you're filled with the Spirit. And by the way, when you're filled with the Spirit, you know it. It doesn't mean that we bark like dogs or laugh or do cartwheels or anything. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is when God finally has control of you. And you know that it is God controlling. You know, maybe you teach a Bible lesson and God takes over and you know that it's God that's teaching the lesson and that's not you. Hey, even as a preacher, sometimes I play back my own sermon just to see what I said because it was God that had taken over and I want to go listen and see what God had said. God can take over. He can do so much when God has control and He's got the power and He's in charge. But it is a definite experience. And when these people were looking for disciples, they went out and said, I know, I can tell He is filled with the Spirit. Let's choose Him. And that's what they did to Stephen. The crowd, Stephen didn't say, hey, come see me, I'm filled with the Spirit. They went to Him and said, we know We can tell, we can sense you are filled with the Spirit. It is a definite experience. It doesn't happen by accident. We're talking about the ministry of a Spirit-filled man. He's a man that's full of faith. He's a man full of the Holy Ghost. He's also a man full of the power of God. A man full of the power of God. Notice with me in verse number 8. And Stephen, full of faith and Power did great wonders and miracles among the people. You know when you are full of power, that is God's power, not your power. Do you know that man has some power? Man can get some things done. But we don't want what man can do. We want what God and God alone can do. Let me illustrate it like this. This is a glove. In of itself, It has no power. If I say, go change a tire, I could throw it at the tire, I could do whatever, I could lay it on the tire, but it can do it, it cannot do it on its own. It has no ability. It is not until it is filled with something beyond itself that now it could do something. You know, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it is God that fills us, and God can do that which we cannot do. That's what we're talking about, full of power. That God can do something beyond ourselves, beyond human ability. God can do 
it. But we have to be filled with the Spirit. You know, one of the things that's so pathetic about American Christianity is that we've gotten satisfied with what man can do. And we're missing out on what God can do. And that only happens when we die to self and we let God have control. We yield ourselves. We surrender ourselves. We say, God, I'm the instrument. Just tell me what to do. And God can do much more than we could think, that we could ask for, that we can imagine. You know, the type of church that I want to pastor is a type of church that 10, 20 years down the road, when people say, how in the world did this happen? And the only answer we can give is say, it was God. It was God. That's what we want. We don't want to have to say, well, we saved enough money and we did this and we did this. You know, we want to say, hey, let me tell you, it was God. That's the type of church. That's the type of ministry. That's the type of thing we want. And that's what, what the characteristic of Stephen was. What was his ministry? What was he like? If you went up to him, he was a man full of faith. He was a man full of the Holy Ghost. He was a man full of power. That was the ministry of the Holy of a Spirit-filled man. Let me show you a second thing. What is the message of a Spirit-filled man? What is the message of a Spirit-filled man? What is it that he talks about? What is it that he, that he spends his time talking and, and spending with? Well, let me show you first of all, is that his message was full of the Word of God. His message was full of the word of God. Notice with me Acts 6 and verse 7. And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. In verse 7, Stephen goes out and he's... And he's telling people about the Lord. And as he tells people about the Lord, more people hear about it. And the word of God is increased because more of the word of God is going out. And the disciples are increased. And even the priests are turning over and saying we're Christians now. You know what happened? What is the message of a spirit-filled man? It's someone full of the scriptures. Someone full of the Holy Ghost. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, in verse number 10. Here he's talking with these people who oppose him. Verse number 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. You know why? Because it was the word of God. They could not refute. They could not go against the word of God. Because his message was full of the Word of God. If you are full of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to give your thoughts and your opinions and your desires and your preferences. You're going to talk about the Word of God. You cannot be a spiritual person without being a scriptural person. By the way, that only comes with saturation of the Word of God. You know that old lie that says a chapter a day keeps the devil away? You're not going to be a spiritual person that way. You become a spiritual person by saturating yourself in the Word of God. You need more and more and more of God's Word. You know there's a difference between preaching 
and biblical preaching. Preaching just means proclaiming, bringing people to the place of decision. And there are many good preachers out there who talk about issues of life, who talk about this and that. And I was talking with a preacher today and he said how he needed to prepare his people because persecution's coming and he wanted them just to be able to stand. And I understand what he's saying and that's not bad. But I have no desire just to be a preacher. My desire, what my commission is, is to teach people the word of God. Because it is through the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have a faith problem? Well, you know how to fix it? Getting more of the word of God. The word of God, the word of God, the word of God. Hey, Stephen was a type of man that you couldn't hang around him for a couple minutes without him talking about the word of God. He just always spoke bringing up scripture, talking about scripture, bringing it up. What kind of conversations do you have? Facebook, gossiping, issues. Do the friends who hang around you know that sometime in the conversation you're going to talk about the Bible? You're going to bring up scripture? You're going to bring up something? Are you a type of person that someone knows that if you're going to hang around them, you know they know that they're going going to learn from you because you're going to be talking about scripture you're going to bring it up a spirit-filled person is going to naturally talk about the word of god why because the holy spirit wrote the word of god and if the holy spirit's got in control he's going to talk about what he wrote about he took the word of god A spirit-filled man is naturally, that's his message. That's what's going to come out of him. That's what's going to pour out of him, just like coming off of his pores. Just the Word of God. The Word of God. And it only comes by saturating yourself through the Word of God. You cannot be a spiritual person without first being a scriptural person. You have to be in the Bible have to be in the Bible. So what is the message of a spirit-filled man? First of all, his his message was full of the Word of God. His message was full of the Word of God. A second thing, his message was fervent in opposition. His message was fervent in opposition. Notice with me in verse number 9. It says, And there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called to the synagogue of the Libertarians, and the Cyrenians, and the Alexandrians, and of them of uh, Cecilia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. What had happened is that as the church of Jerusalem started growing, that the other Jews called in for reinforcements. They went to the colleges of their day, the learning centers of their day, Alexandria and Liberia and the Cyrenians, and they all came for the purpose of trying to talk to this one Christian. And they wanted to debate him, and they wanted to dispute with him, and they wanted to talk with him. And they said, we want to show this pipsqueak little Christian that he doesn't know anything. But he began to talk with them and they couldn't resist. Why? Because it was just about the word of God. Let's jump into verse 11. Then they suborned men. This means they hired men. They said, hey, come here. I need you to do something. They suborned men which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. These people came, and when they started talking with him, he just said, well, you know, the Bible says this, and the Bible says this. And they said, well, what about this? The Bible says this. And they could not stop him because he had the word of God just coming out. So you know what they did? They hired people to lie. 
How would that feel? That people are hired to lie against you for the purpose of getting you arrested. They captured him and they put him on trial. And guess what? His message never changed. A spirit-filled man, his message doesn't change because of a different crowd. Now, I understand you can be tactful and there's a proper message for the right thing. There's Sunday morning crowd, a Sunday night crowd, Wednesday night crowd. Well, we understand there's different crowds and you need to speak the right thing. I, you know, I'm not going to go hit something heavy and doctrinal to the retirement home on Tuesday. There's different audiences. But you know what it's all going to be about? The Word of God. It's all going to be about Christ. It's not going to change. I'm not going to get into a crowd that it believes in homosexuality and all of a sudden change my message and say, you know what, it's fine and, you know, We're not going to change the message. It's fervent. Even when opposition comes, you don't change the message. It's going to remain the same. That only comes with the Holy Spirit, by the way. Because you know what? We're all cowards. We all have a survival instinct in us. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, God takes over. And that message doesn't change just because there's some opposition. You know, the workplace says, you know what? You need to stop passing out those tracts. You need to stop inviting people to church. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, it's going to be easy to kind of change the message and say, all right, I won't talk to anybody anymore. Now, I understand there's wisdom and you shouldn't, um, I don't want to get into too much stuff, but you need to be filled, be consistent. That only comes being filled with the Holy Spirit. What is this message? It's a message full of the Word of God. It's a message full. fervent opposition. It's also a message focused on Christ. It's a message focused on Christ. Now, this story continues on. They get a hold of Stephen, and he gets the chance to defend himself. In all of chapter 7, he preaches a message. Turn with me in chapter 7 towards the end of his message in verse number 52. Acts chapter 7, he's preaching a message, he's going through the history of Israel, and he's bringing them to one point. He's bringing up all this stuff to bring them to one subject matter. Acts 7 verse 52, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which have showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have now been betrayers and murderers. He says, you want to talk about the Old Testament? You know what all those prophets that your fathers killed? They were talking about Jesus. You know who you killed? You killed Jesus. You know what his message was all about? It was all about Jesus. Everything was about Jesus. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, and verse number 56, And said, Stephen still speaking, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. You know what he was doing? He's saying, There it is! There it is! It's God! It's Jesus! You know, someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't spend too much long with them before they start talking about Jesus. If you could forgive the personal illustration, after September 11th, I was in the military and they pulled me from my medical job to help augmentee security. And we worked 14-hour shifts and we usually partnered up. And I ended up doing, I forgot how many, nine months of these 14-hour shifts. And so we would be partnered up and it was amazing. After a couple months, they started knowing who I was. We had people who would specifically look on the schedule and try to change out. Some of them trying to change out to get away from me. And some of them trying to change to get with me. Because they all said, he's just going to talk about Jesus all night. And some of them couldn't stand it. And some of them wanted some more. 
You know, I'm not bragging about myself, but I'm saying that's what a spirit-filled person does. That's the subject matter they're going to get around to talking about. They want to talk about Jesus. Why? Because the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit's job is always to point to Jesus. Always to point to Jesus. So if God, if the Holy Spirit has control, He's going to do what He was designed to do. Or he was, He's always God. But to point up to God. To point up to Jesus. You need to be suspicious when people say they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they want to talk about the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit does not point to itself. The Holy Spirit always points up to Christ. Always points up to Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And Stephen, what was his message like? He was full of Scripture. He was full of the Word of God. What was his message like? It was fervent in opposition. It didn't change just because someone didn't like his message. What was his message like? It was a message focused on Christ. There's a message focused on Christ. One more thing I want to show you. I want to show you the manner of a spirit-filled man. We talked about his ministry, that God powered him, God had it, he had faith. We talked about his message, that when you got around him, it was always about Christ. He kept using Scripture over and over and over. But what was his manner like? What was his disposition? How did he treat people? What is the manner of the spirit-filled man? I want to remind you at this juncture that the Holy Spirit and Jesus are the same person. And so, if the Spirit has control, guess what? You're going to act just like Jesus. So how did Jesus act? According to John chapter 1 and verse 14, Jesus was full of grace and truth. Both of them, grace and truth. So if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what you're going to be full of? Grace and truth. Let's take the last one first. Let's look at the truth. We see that he was bold in preaching. Bold in preaching. Acts chapter 7 verse 51. We were just there. This is some bold preaching. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. And he went on and talked. He had bold preaching. He had these people that had put him on a false trial. That had hired people to lie. And he was bold. He was saying, hey, I'm still going to tell you the truth. I'm still going to tell you what's going on. And he was bold. Notice in Acts 4, let me just kind of rewind a little bit. Notice Acts 4.31. 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Notice this. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be bold. You know, sometimes we all have a timidness about approaching people. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have the boldness to talk to them. You have a relative. Relatives are always worse. You're just very fearful to talk about. You know what the answer is? You need to die to self and be filled with the Spirit and let God take over that conversation. And you and you'll be bold, a boldness that doesn't come from you. There's many of us who are timid in, by nature. But the wonderful thing is when God takes control, he takes control and he'll give you the boldness to talk about it. That's what Jesus had. He had no problems talking with anybody. And when we have the Holy Spirit, we're going to be bold in preaching. Now, this is the amazing part. Not only did he have the boldness and the truth, but he had the grace. He was graceful under pressure. Notice with me Acts 6. 
This is just amazing. Acts 6, notice in verse number 14. So the, they hired people to lie against them. They stir up people up. They put them on a false trial. They set up false witnesses. Verse 14, For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. Now, if you were put on a false trial and you had a bunch of people who were lying against you, what would your reaction be? Would you be in the flesh and say, oh yeah, let me show you. Hey, listen here right now. That's what the flesh does. But when the Holy Spirit's in control, notice verse 15. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, Stephen, saw his face as if it were the face of an angel. You know what happens? They put this false trial. They hired people to lie against him. And they looked at his face in the midst of the trial. And it's not contorted. It's not seething. They looked on it like it was a face of an angel. It looked like it was heaven. There was such a peace. You know that peace does not come naturally. This is a super. That these people are lying. He knows that murder is on their hearts. And he still is sitting there with such peace. And those men noticed it. And they said, what's this? This is not what we expected. And made an impression on them. Now, it's not going to stop them, but it made an impression on them. How is your face when someone accuses you Is it like the face of an angel, such peace? Maybe when someone challenges something that you believe, is it a face full of peace, like heaven? Then I'm trying to show you what a spirit-filled person looks like. And if this is not true, then we have to admit during those times, we're not full of the Holy Spirit, we're probably full of self, full of pride. Because a spirit-filled person acts completely different than a natural, carnal, or a prideful, fleshly person. This is not natural. He had such a peace, even while on this false trial. Not only that, this wonder. Notice the witness of Stephen. Acts 7 and verse 54. Now, he gets through preaching this message and he points out that it was Jesus that they killed. Verse 54, how did they respond? When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, God says, hey, I want to remind you, he's still full of the Spirit right now. He's still full of the Holy Ghost. How does he respond? Looking steadfastly into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen calling upon God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. 
See, he got through preaching, and they didn't respond properly to the message. So they they looked at him, and he says, Hey, I see Jesus. He's coming. He's waiting for me. That was the last straw. They didn't. They couldn't handle it anymore. So they dragged him outside. Now, outside of a city, what they would have is a little pit. And they would throw the person in the middle of the pit so they would have to climb out. And around the pit, they had a bunch of rocks. And so what they would do is they would be able to gather rocks and throw the rocks down into the pit. And here's Stephen thrown into the pit. They take these rocks and these rocks begin to hit him. A rock hits his arm and he feels his arm shatter. A rock hits his leg and he collapses to the ground. A rock hits his head and he can feel the blood trickle down the side of his face. They're literally murdering him. How does he respond as he say, God's going to get you back? He's actually bleeding. Rocks are hitting him. Bones are cracking. How does he respond? He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he kneels down and he makes a prayer. He cries with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You know what he was doing? He was saying, God, still save them. That's someone filled with the Holy Spirit. If someone drags you in the alleyway and tries to stab you, are you in the mindset that says, Lord, forgive them. I still want them to be saved. Somebody comes and robs your house. Who's in control? You or God. Are you still saying, God, save them? Children, you get bullied at school. Are you saying, Lord, save them? Or are you saying, I can't wait till they get what they deserve? That's a difference of being a spirit-filled person. Our natural person wants revenge, wants back, wants them to be hurt. Hurting people hurt people. But a spirit-filled person is still looking for souls. One of the people that was there was a man named Saul. And he was a witness as God rocked, or as the, these people rocked Stephen to sleep. And he gave up the ghost. But a man named Saul later on got saved. And he says, you know, he gives a testimony later in the book of Acts. And he says, in Acts 22 and verse 20, he says, hey, there was something I never got over. I watched this man as he's being or as he's being rocked to sleep, as he's being stoned, and he's saying, God, save him! And he says, I never forgot that. How could a guy who's being killed, how can he ask me to get saved, for me to have forgiveness? He says, I never got over it. Now, Paul didn't get saved that night, but it left a lasting impression. Do you know people remember how you respond when hard times come? You know, people are tired of hearing about Christianity. They actually want to see one. And when you go through hard times, they want to see if there's anything different about you going through hard times and what they go through hard times. And when we respond in the flesh and through pride and through our own selves, they say, hey, he's got the same problems. There's no help. I mean, it's the same thing for him, for me. And so our religion is dead and useless in their eyes. 
But when we go through hard times, when we are being lied against, when they know that we are being taken advantage of, that we are whatever else, and we respond by faith, and we respond with a peace that passeth all understanding. You know what that all under, passeth all understanding? It means a peace when it doesn't make sense to have peace. When they see that, that you could still say, God is still good. A sickness happens and you say, you know what? God's still good. When pain hits, God's still good. When you're being accused of something you didn't do at work, God's still good. It's going to be all right. You get fired from your job. You know what? God's still good. God's got a plan. God knows what he's doing. That's not natural. And they see that. And they say there's something different about the way that person suffers than the way that I suffer. And they may not get saved that moment, but it will not leave them. It will stay with them. And God can use that incident to prepare their hearts to receive the Lord. You see... When we look at suffering, all sometimes we see as ourself, how bad we have it, how it's not fair for me, me, me. It's not right for me, me, me. We need to realize as we're dead to self and filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what God is concerned of? Them, them, them. Them, them, them. This is what a spirit-filled man looks like. This is what a spirit-filled man talks like. This is what a spirit-filled man acts like. And if we were to be honest, we'd have to say there are plenty of times that we are not spirit-filled. But I want to encourage you, you can be at any time. There's not a long process. You don't have to go climb a mountain or whatever else. It's just as simple as emptying yourself out. And when you finally get tired and say, God, I'm done I surrender all. I give you my house, my ambitions, my goals, my desires, my marriage, my whatever else. I give it all. It's not mine anymore. I don't want any of it. It's yours. You just tell me what to do. I'm the instrument. God, you take control. And you know what God will do? As you empty yourself out, he will fill you up with him. And you'll get him. Now, as soon as you decide to take the back or get some element of pride... You have to do it all over again. Now, it doesn't mean you lose your salvation. Now, this is why some people get confused losing your salvation. You know, I'm a Christian, not a Christian. I'm a Christian, I'm not a Christian. We understand that living the spirit life, Paul said, I die daily. Hey, if Paul had to die daily, imagine how many times we got to die a day. I got to constantly empty myself, constantly. Anytime pride gets back up or selfishness or whatever else, I got to die again. Got to die again. I got to empty myself out again. God, you take control. But let me tell you, when God's got control and he's got the power, so much more can be accomplished. So much more can be done. So much more people can be reached than if we try to do it ourselves. Man has some power, but God has so much more. And we just need to get to the place where we're tired of doing it ourselves and say, God, you need to do it. Do you know that you need to be a spirit-filled person to raise kids? You know, raising kids is some of the hardest thing. I know, I'm preaching to the choir now. You can't do it. You have to say, God, I empty myself. You raise these kids. You know, God could raise your kids a lot better than you can. 
You know, I can't be the husband I ought to be. My wife can't be the wife she ought to be on her own. I mean, we just can't do it. We got so much selfishness. You know how nasty this flesh is? You have to say, God, I just can't do it anymore. I'm, tr- of, I'm tired of trying to be the husband I ought to be. I finally give up. Lord, you take it all. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And you be the husband for me. You know what? God can do it. We just need to get tired of doing it ourselves. We need to get tired of just accomplishing what our flesh can get accomplished. And say, God, you be God. That's why this message on Stephen is so important. We're not just getting the theology. We're getting to see a person and we're almost standing up here and say, this is what it looks like. And then as we compare ourselves, we can see that, you know what? How much flesh and selfishness and pride we really have. The characteristics of a spirit-filled man. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. You know my heart, my desire is just for you to do a work beyond myself and that you would get a hold of some of these folks' life. Lord, there's not a person in here, including myself, that cannot benefit from this message. There's not a single one of us who don't struggle with the flesh, with pride, with doing it ourselves. Lord, it's one of the hardest things to do is to let you take control. This is one of those things we can get in the habit of dying to self and dying to self and it becomes easier and easier. Lord, we have to get to the place where we finally say, God, you're in charge. You take it all. It'd be amazing what you could do with this church, with this group of people, if all of us just said, Lord, you take charge. We wouldn't be able to recognize this church in six months if you did it all. Lord, help us all to be willing just to say, God, the best I know how, I surrender myself to you. And I beg that you fill me with your spirit and use me in any way that you see fit. Lord, you could revolutionize the Riverview Baptist Church. You could send revival through Green Bay. You could bring a revival sweeping through Wisconsin. If this church would just surrender all. Lord, I'm asking that people would take time to be serious with you now. That this wouldn't just be, thank the Lord, that the message is over. But this would be something that we meditate and we chew on. That some of us would finally give up and say, Lord, I need this. You do a work. I give this up to you, Lord. You just work now. With every head